Good morning. Uh, I'm Thomas. I'm the director of student ministries here at NOVA. Uh, I don't often get the, the, the privilege of preaching, but today is one of those days, and I'm excited. Um, today, we are going to be talking about uh, two choices, uh, two roads or two paths. And so the question is, what do you do when you come to a fork in the road? <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> I really felt like um, this is a past Pastor Adam's sense of humor. I was like, I swear you've done this in one before. Uh, <laughs> I was like, did you do this? He's like, no, I didn't do it. I was like, I'm doing it. Um, uh, probably not like this, but one that looks more like this. Um, which direction to head down? Um, and this is going to be the framework upon which we hang our reflection this morning. Um, and as you see in your notes, if you have one of the paper bulletins there, uh, you have an image that looks like a big Y or a very simple fork in the road. Um, and that's the image that we're going to be building off of. Um, and so because we have been studying the book of Ephesians here in our series entitled One, and in our scripture today that we'll be reading in just a few moments, um, we're going to see how Paul is provoking our imaginations to consider between two paths, two ways of life that are set before us. And Paul himself has been just steeped in this imagery for his whole life because he is a student of Scripture, and the Hebrew Bible is just full of this type of language where people have two choices before them. And so we're going to step into Paul's shoes a little bit here uh, to understand where he's coming from as he writes what he writes. So what is the first story in the Bible where we have two choices being set before someone? The Garden of Eden, of course. Genesis 2, right there in the Garden of Eden. We have on one hand the tree of life and uh, all the other trees that are in the garden which may be eaten from, which will result in the flourishing of life. Um, and this, this image right here, it's an illustration from the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. Um, it's from their latest video on the Tree of Life. And I was like, it's the perfect illustration. I highly recommend the Bible Project and this video. It's great. And so there's the Tree of Life. And then on the other hand, we have the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Bad, uh, which represents this choice to define what is good and what is bad for ourselves apart from the one who created all that is good. And so eating from this tree, God warns, results in death. And so there are two choices that are set before humanity. And we know which one humanity chooses, and it's bad news for us. Uh, so we have Adam, Adam and Eve, and they had two choices before them. And we see many of the different biblical figures ending up in very similar situations. One road leads to life, and the other road leads to destruction and death. Um, and this language and this way of thinking is so ingrained in Paul's mind, and we see it all over the letter to the Ephesians. And so last week, uh, Pastor Adam uh, brought us Paul's word about the way of darkness and the way of light and also the actions associated with each one, the unfruitful deeds of darkness compared with the fruitful deeds of life. And today, we're going to see some of the same stark contrasts being used. And so if you have your Bible or you have one on an app, I would encourage you to open up to Ephesians 
chapter 5, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul's writing here, and this is what he says, verse 15. Be very careful, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so that's our text for today. That's what we're going to be reflecting on. Um, And first, I'd like us to put ourselves in a hypothetical situation, or maybe a very real situation for some of us. Um, I want you to imagine that you are at a restaurant, and you are deciding what to eat, and you are hungry. Uh, And you have a hard choice before you. Um, Maybe you're on a diet, or maybe you're just trying to be health conscious, or maybe you have given up a certain type of food for the 40 days of Lent before Easter. And so you have maybe two choices, two food choices. Uh, One that you're like not supposed to have according to the rules that you've made, and one that you can have. And oh, those sweet french fries are calling your name. Uh, And depending what you pick, you will be affected by what you choose. And you will begin to look more like either Parks and Rec Chris Pratt or Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt. (laughs) Both of which are great options, to be honest. Um, But uh, you get the picture. One road leads to one thing and one road leads to another. And so we saw in our passage in Ephesians that there were three different contrasts that Paul actually made. We're going to list them out. One is don't be unwise, but be wise. The other is don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And the third one is don't get drunk, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these contrasts are very similar to how the wisdom literature in the Hebrew Bible works, um, like in the book of Proverbs. Um, In Proverbs, we find some really simple nuggets of wisdom (laughs) contrasting the way of the wise and the unwise, like instructions given from a father to a son, warning about the way of the fool and encouragements to follow the path of the wise. And so we have this one here. For example, we have him saying, my son, do not go along with the wicked. Do not set foot on their paths. Or we have another one, wisdom personified in Proverbs here, saying, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And last one, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. But we know that this isn't this easy. And you would think that it would be simple, like, hey, don't do the wrong thing. And you're like, okay, I won't do the wrong thing. But then you go and you do the wrong thing. Um, and it's, it's because humanity has this heart problem that leads us down the wrong path. Um, and it really reminds me of uh, Israel's journey uh, in the Old Testament. Israel 
in this moment has been brought out of slavery in Egypt, and then they come through the sea, and then they celebrate what God has done in saving them, and then they just like repeatedly mess it up. (laughs) They choose the path of disobedience and death again and again, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, And it just seems like they can't do what was right. Um, So, uh, do you guys know internet memes? You're about to learn about them just a little bit. Because here's what this problem for Israel looks like as a meme. (laughs) Never choosing obedience, always turning hard to disobedience. That just, that seems what it's like. Um, And so we get to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And we have Moses instructing the generation that has come after this disobedient one. And he's telling them not to follow in the footsteps of their parents. um, Because we have seen how the past choices have led to their downfall. But there's hope for this new generation that they can choose for themselves. Um, And just, you know, Deuteronomy, it literally means second law. Deuteronomy means second law. Because Moses is just presenting the law again to this new generation, like, hey, let's try this again. And so, here in Deuteronomy, Moses sets the choice before them. Obedience or disobedience. The way that leads to blessing or the way that leads to curse. And this new generation, it will be under the leadership of Joshua, and they will do better. But Moses knows that they will still fail because he knows the human heart. And so, in some of his final words in the book of Deuteronomy, he speaks about a time when God will give them a new heart. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And so, this hope is for a new heart. And it's then carried on by the prophets. And we have a passage like this in Ezekiel. It says, God is talking and he's saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you, remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so we get this hope that our old hearts, our our calloused hearts, our hard hearts, that lead us down this path of destruction, we have this hope that they will be transformed and renewed by God's Spirit. Um, And it's this very thing that Paul sees as the antidote. Um, We are enabled to choose the right path that leads to life because the Spirit has renewed our hearts. It renews our, our very core, and it makes us actually desire to choose the right path. And it's really interesting um, because in, in this passage, Paul contrasts being filled by the Spirit with getting drunk on wine. Um, and it's a really interesting comparison to think about and to meditate on. Um, one initial observation that came to mind was um, in Acts chapter 2. Um, uh, Acts chapter 2 is when people are receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time at Pentecost. And other people see their behavior and they, they go... Oh, it's only like nine in the morning. Are these guys drunk already? (laughs) Um, And so there's the first person who has made the connection between being drunk on wine with being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Um, but I think it's, it's more than that. Um, elsewhere in Paul's writing, um, like in Romans 8, uh, we see this contrast between the spirit of God and the flesh. Um, and the flesh is basically, it's this old way of life. This is the language that Paul uses for this old way of life that's captive to our like unrestrained base desires. Um, and the image that comes to mind for me, like when I think about the flesh, is like that of a cartoon caveman that's just like, want food, take food. <laughs> um, it's just like this satisfaction of our immediate desires, no matter what the cost. Um, and so being captive to our flesh, it, it leads us to unfruitful actions, but the way of the spirit leads us into fruitful actions, like we talked about last week. Um, and so ab abusing alcohol, like Paul talks about, uh, it, it leans heavily into the way of the flesh. Um, if, if you have ever been around people who have abused alcohol, then you've, you've seen it. Um, they might say something they, they shouldn't say, something hurtful, um, or do something they shouldn't do. Um, and many people give in to temptations when they're under the influence or make destructive choices that ruin relationships or ruin lives because it loosens the restraints and it reveals our desires and our true heart. And the problem with that is that our hearts are just so messed up. <laughs> and so unrestrained us, unrestrained us, it just it doesn't look good. Um, but this passage in particular, um, it isn't trying to say that all alcohol is bad. Um, we have seen Jesus and Paul and the other Old Testament writers like just not having an issue with alcohol except when it comes to abusing it. Um, because alcohol itself, it is described as a good gift from God in the Bible. Um, but just being that, it puts it in the company of uh, money and sex and power um, as all being really good gifts that God has given us. Um, but that we have this very strong tendency to abuse in very unfruitful and destructive ways. And so we need to heed the warnings of the Bible. Um, you know, I, I know that there are quite a few people in this room who have been hurt by alcohol abuse in the past, um, whether it's been a, a friend, a spouse, a parent, a friend's parent, a, a stranger uh, who drank too much and then hurt you. Um, and I know that there are people in this room who are, who are now sober and are praising God that he has helped them overcome the hold that alcohol had on them. And there are other people um, who love to celebrate with a drink and find joy in the blessings that God has given them. Um, but my, my encouragement to all of us is just to be careful uh, and to examine the hold alcohol may have on you. Because alcohol, it very quickly can become a destructive way of escaping or coping with the difficulties of life. And I've, I've seen that in, in people's lives. Uh, and, and so if you find yourself drinking too much or drinking for the wrong reasons, or you just know that you aren't yourself when you drink, you can find support. And whether that means going cold turkey or taking a break or just having a friend who will tell you when you have gone too far, we all can support each other in that um, because it's very common um, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Okay, 
So uh, the abuse of alcohol, it, uh, it wasn't Paul's main point here. Um, it was a little aside on, on that, but I, I, think, I thought it was important. Um, and I thought it was worth attempting to address a biblical perspective on alcohol. But let's, let's jump right back into the passage. You didn't even know we were gone, but we're coming right back in. <laughs> um, uh, throughout this letter to the Ephesians, um, Paul has been trying to convince us about who we really are. And so we've been in this sermon series, I think for 18 Sundays now. We've been in Ephesians for a very long time. Um, and so uh, try, to th- try to think about the big picture of all that we've learned so far. Paul has been trying to convince us about who we really are. And he has been saying, you used to walk on this path that leads to death. That was the old humanity. But that is not you anymore. You have been renewed by the Spirit. Your heart has been changed. And you are now a part of the new humanity. You have a new identity. And this new identity has actually been your true identity all along. Um, The way Paul begins to speak, it's almost like the path should look more like this. Um, Because God originally created you as this wonderful human being full of potential. And because of what Jesus and the Spirit have done in your life, you are now back on that path. You are on that path as Paul is speaking to you. You are now more human than you have ever been. (laughs) Uh, And it is only because we have believed a lie that we have ever been led down this other path that's contrary to who we really are, this path that leads to destruction. And these unfruitful and destructive actions that we do, it's, it's not just that they're bad, um, but Paul is trying to show us that they are a form of insanity when we do them. <laughs> um, because to do them is to believe and to live out a lie that is contrary to who we really are. Like someone who believes that they are like Elvis Presley. Like, (laughs) you're not him. (laughs) Uh, Paul says, listen to the truth about who you are. Because when you do, you will thrive in ways that you have never imagined. And so, the best example that I have to illustrate this is from Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. Um, (laughs) uh, As the story begins, uh, hopefully most of you know the story, as the story begins, he is an orphan, uh, and he has been lied to about his parents and his heritage, and he has been mistreated and abused, and he's told that he is a delinquent, and he's forced to live in this small cupboard under the stairs, and he has no idea who he truly is. Until one day, this behemoth of a man kicks down the door and goes, you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then goes on to tell him, yeah, you're all amused at me. <laughs> um, uh, I, I love it. Uh, and so then that, that big guy goes on to tell him, you actually have this new identity. And this new identity has always been you, but you have just been believing this lie about yourself. Your, your parents, they didn't die in a car crash. They sacrificed themselves to save you from the forces of evil. They were wizards, and so are you. And you have this wonderful, untapped potential. And they left you this rich inheritance, a vault full of gold. 
It's just, just this total flip-flopping, and it's all just because he has been lied to for so long. He didn't know his true identity. And so throughout the story, throughout, throughout all the books, we, we get to see how Harry lives into his true identity, using his power and his riches to bless others and to combat evil. It's a wonderful fantasy tale. And he never would have been able to do that if he hadn't been told the truth. And that's what Paul is doing here. Paul is like Hagrid, <laughs> busting down the door and saying, you're a new human. <laughs> He's telling us about our true identity. And this is what is part of what could be called the new humanity. This is a little bit of the language that Paul uses. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. You're a new person. So what does life on this path, of the path of the new humanity, what does that look like? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And so first, um, this life is a life characterized by thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. Um, because we have been shown our true identity, which is incredible. Um, and our hearts have been transformed by the Spirit so that we don't have to believe the lie and live in slavery to this old way of life. You know, think about how Israel was brought out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea, and then they sing a song as they come through, giving thanks to God right there in Exodus 15. We, too, like them, should have our hearts overflowing with thanks so much that it just it comes out in song and praise. And this, this life of thanks is one that Jesus tried to show us. Uh, even in spite of the fact that people were being unjustly murdered around Jesus and there were natural disasters and there were diseases taking the lives of many, even people close to Jesus. He knew this, and yet he still said things like, God loves you more than you know, and God knows how many hairs you have on your head, and you, you know how he takes care of the birds and how beautifully he clothes the flowers of the field? How much more will he take care of you? He cultivated this mindset of thankfulness, even in spite of tragedies occurring in the world. And that, that, is, that is something worth meditating on because it is hard for us to do. But Jesus did it. He trusted that the path that the Father was leading him down on would lead to life. He had to trust even when it really seemed like death. Like, think of just early in Jesus' ministry. He's being led into 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. That doesn't seem very life-giving. And then later on, he's being led to the cross. It seems very much the opposite of life, but that's where the trust comes in. And so, how do we, how do we cultivate thankfulness? It can be very difficult. And you might know what it is like to um, try to have a child be thankful. <laughs> I hear parents all the time, say thank you. <laughs> and then they say it, and it's like, oh, like, I guess it's okay. A little disingenuous, but it's all right. <laughs> um, we, we want children to just be so overcome with happiness that thanks just flows out of them. Like when they've just like, received the most exciting gift on Christmas Day. Um, and it's beautiful when that outflow happens naturally. Um, and that's kind of what Paul is trying to do for us. He, he wants us to realize this and to, to 
have it set in our hearts about who we really are because we have forgotten our true identity. We have forgotten the gifts that God has given us. And so Paul's trying to remind us, trying to captivate our imaginations with all these examples that he gives all throughout the book of Ephesians. And so here at Nova, we try to remind one another, encouraging one another, preaching sermons and getting in small groups, and of course, like literally singing praise songs like we just did a few minutes ago every Sunday morning. We do that every week. And then we also, um, as you guys heard earlier in the announcements, we have this project going on right now, trying to get us into the habit of putting our blessings, the things that we're thankful for, right at the front of our minds for these 40 days leading up to Easter. And when you go out on the plaza, you're going to see that thing on there, and you, you'll be able to look at all the things people have been thankful for. And it's just, it's a wonderful feeling to just stand in front of that board for a few minutes and to just read about all the wonderful things that people of Nova are thankful for. So I would encourage you to, to grab a packet of those stickers, to take that home, and to make that a practice of every day, just writing down things that you're thankful for. When we do that, it will transform the way that we think. We'll begin to think more like Jesus, and then it will change the way that we act. And so, uh, lastly, when you're filled by the Spirit, when you're walking on this good path, the orange path that I have up there, your life will be characterized by submission. This is the, the last thing that Paul says. This submission, it will be the topic of next week's sermon entirely, um, but it's still attached to what being filled by the Spirit looks like Paul in this section. Um, it's attached to that. Um, and it's worth beginning to just meditate on it now, just beginning. And so it says submitting to one another. And that seems for us maybe a bit strange or a bit difficult. And so how does it work out? Um, what it comes down to is this upturning of the social order. <laughs> the first will be last and the last will be first. And we have Jesus as our example, this great teacher, this great master, this great leader who stoops down into the position of a servant, of a slave, the lowest of the totem pole, to wash his disciples' feet. And he teaches us to treat every person as though they are more important than ourselves. An upturning of the social order, and it just leads to something so very beautiful. And we have our example, our example of this, in God himself, who humbled himself, taking the form of a man who came to give to and to serve humanity, the God of the universe, giving himself because of his love. Jesus, who trusted the Father, submitted to his will, to his plan, to his way, and submitted himself to humanity, turning himself over, where then he was nailed to the cross. And so just as it says at the beginning of Ephesians 5, I encourage you to be reading and rereading Ephesians as we're going through it. It's such a beautiful letter and so interconnected in wonderful ways. It says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Will you, will we choose to walk down this path? 
Let's pray.